Welcome back everybody to Uncensored CMO. After a few weeks off to take a summer break, we are back, which is very exciting. I'm delighted to be back in the hot seat and back interviewing again and meeting wonderful people that we can all be inspired and learn from. And that really is true of my next guest. Meg Farron um, has had a wonderful career to date. In fact, she's just between jobs. She's about to go from uh, her role at Asda back to KFC. Many of you might know Meg, but she was the KFC CMO for many, many years, uh, left KFC about 18 months ago, and now she's returning to the role of general manager. It seemed a perfect time to catch up with her and find out what she's thinking about her new role but also to give us the insight into the brand. She oversaw a wonderful period uh, of KFC where the brand really uh, turned itself around and revived itself. And uh, there were many, many famous campaigns, of course. I'm sure you can think of some of the standout KFC campaigns the past few years and innovation as well. I was dying to catch up with Meg and find out a little bit more about behind the scenes, how they came up with the campaigns, what they did and how effective they were, uh, but also to find out about KFC as a business, how they run it uh, and what leads to success and what her advice would be to any up and coming CMOs who are looking at a career and want to learn from the very best. Someone who's been voted in the campaign's top 10 CMOs and someone who led a team to Marketing Week Brand of the Year 2020. So this is a really great interview. I know you're going to enjoy it. Uh, Meg is full of passion, honesty, lots and lots of wisdom and experience oozing out of everything she says. So I know this is going to be great. You'll enjoy this one. So here's my interview with Meg Farron. Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here, John. Now, this is um, this has got a bit of a back to school vibe about it, hasn't it? I imagine for you, right? Because we're having a conversation just before you're returning to KFC. So how are you feeling about it? So excited, nervous, but super, super excited. I can't wait to go back to the business. Oh, amazing. Have you had, have you had a bit of time off in between your last job, this job? I took six weeks off and I would highly recommend that. In fact, six weeks off every summer would be amazing. I took two weeks, went back to visit my family in the US. I'm from the US. And then I've just had some time at home with the kids and a week now that they've been back at school. It's <laughs> <Just> been <laughs> excellent. Um, I really needed it. I don't think I even realized how tired I was after the last year, which has been an amazing experience, but full on. And I've just really recuperated like my brain and my kind of body and stuff it's just been restful yeah and I can imagine you must be full of ideas about the new job how it's going to go ideas you got have you have you been plotting about your sort of first 90 days in office and all that <laughs> like the presidents do and this sort of thing you've got a little plan to like the president <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um to be honest I am trying to be completely open-minded and my perspective going in I just want to keep almost as if I'm brand new. I mean, I am kind of new, so a lot has changed in the, it's not quite 18 months, but a little bit over a year since I've left KFC in the first place. Like the market's moved on, the trading dishes have moved on, consumers are in a different space, the team has changed a lot. So I am going in with, I just want to learn. The planning I've been doing is planning a learning agenda, essentially. And what questions do I want to ask? Who am I going to spend a lot of time with? And that is basically, everyone so my team but our suppliers customers I'm going to spend my first week will be in restaurant retraining relearning how to bread chicken so I'm really just trying to learn that's what I'm planning and I'm going to keep the fresh eyes I think it's quite a luxury to both go into especially as a first-time GM to a business I know so well and really understand the culture of 
but equally to have had the chance to have a year or so of external perspective and time away. And I think that is, yeah, it just gives me a chance to it's learn again. It's actually a new position, isn't it? Because I guess you know the business very well, but then you've had that separation. You be able to see things maybe fresh. It reminds me actually, years ago, I, I worked in this role in a soft drink company, and once a month we used to go out on the vans. You know, we used to do literally selling to the to selling to the shops. And I remember the team would go, oh, John, do we have to do this kind of thing? But honestly, by lunchtime, they were buzzing going, oh, I realised the trays we put the drinks in are the wrong size. And, I, you know, so we, we would literally have so many ideas by the end of the day. It's so important, isn't it? And I imagine that's a really important thing in the kind of role you do where you've got all these franchises, you know, you need to operate and you've got the brand bits to do. And if well, you can't deliver it well in the restaurant to the customer, then there's, you know, then it's nothing then it's just an idea on a piece of paper. And the last thing you ever want to do is break the restaurants or slow them down or make the job for the team member difficult. And also being in in the restaurant, being on the till, it just gives you a chance to talk to people as well and to find out what's working and what's not working and to talk to customers and just to watch them and see them interact with the, the teams and the food. And yeah, so yeah. I love it. And, and and it feels like like because often when you as a marketer when you do research you kind of got the report it's in PowerPoint and this sort of thing. There's nothing like actually experiencing it. You just get that level of kind of realness and. You and know. you need video, especially when yeah. I always ask for videos and clips, and you just you don't want everything through the lens always of a researcher. I think that's helpful yeah. to have the summary, but you need the unvarnished words that people use and that's how you change minds and influence people that's how we started the original when i first became cmo of kfc you know back now i don't think it must have been six or seven years ago that was what helped change how the whole business felt about the challenges the brand was facing was listening to the actual words that consumers said even though it was really hard to hear but you you need that it just doesn't mm. always come through in a powerpoint deck no it doesn't yeah. it makes it far more real well, so i really want to get into some, your journey at kfc some of the some of the marketing you've been doing as well because it's it's really exciting stuff but maybe just before we get into that tell us a little bit about how do you get into marketing in the first place what's been your journey to this point just so people listening get a sense of where you've come from well, I didn't start in marketing, so I started my career in finance at J.P. Morgan. Maybe what you'll hear from this is that I'm not always the most planful, but I just wanted to be in New York, and so I took that was a, I got a That's job a on it. Right? I got a job on a trading <laughs> desk at J.P. Morgan, and then quite quickly, I've always kind of wanted to be in business. My dad was in business, and then I realized in J.P. Morgan, I wasn't really learning about business. It was very like a very specific bit of finance, and I went into a consulting firm, management consulting firm and worked on a bunch of different clients and projects cross sectors, but mainly consumer businesses. And then realized, okay, I've learned some stuff, but now like I kind of need to do something and not just write decks and give presentations to people. And so I decided to look for a job and everyone told me you'll never get a job. And you said you were gonna ask about some of my toughest career moments. Th yeah, this was yeah. one, every, every recruiter I spoke to said, no one will hire you. Now, why, why was that? Can I ask you why, why at that? No is it the lack of experience? Lack of experience. Well, I wasn't really looking for a marketing job. I was looking for almost any job that was in, I would have called it the like a line role. I wanted to be in a sales position or, or a marketing position or even operations. I wanted to have real like experience running a business, being in the running of a business, not just the advising on strategically 
all of the recruiters were saying, you can work for a strategy department. Like, go work in the strategy department. I was like, but that's this, what I'm doing now. And eventually, I just started kind of going out on my own. And I really, I had done some work for Dutchie with my consulting firm. And I, so I knew the one of the chilled desserts categories really well. And I loved Goo as a brand. And I loved the products. And they make chocolate desserts for anyone listening who doesn't know what they are. And I looked for in my network someone who knew the founder and I somehow got his email and I just started emailing him and it took a few times eventually wrote back and said just join us anyway so I went I took he said we don't really have any roles open except for a national account manager and I was like okay like fine I didn't even know what that was I was like fine I'll do it (laughs) and I took a 50% pay cut I went to this crazy little place like down in basement of Shepherd's Bush and I did that for a year and it was so character building because it was so hard and I was I spent so much time being so nervous all the time because I really didn't know what I was doing and then what I realized was that most of the decisions in the business were being made influenced by the sales team but really being made in the brand and the marketing team about what products they're developing and what ranges they're going to extend and how they're talking about the brand all of the engine was was almost in the marketing team and I said oh actually kind of want to go over there and a brand management role opened up and they just let they let me do it so I did kind of 12 months in that role then I moved over and I I took a brand manager role and worked for marketing director at the time was ex Pepsi and Frito-Lay and she taught me everything she was brilliant because I didn't have any training and I do believe I'm one of these people I don't think you can wing marketing I think you need to be trained and understand the discipline so I was very lucky to have had that opportunity and then eventually kind of worked my way there to different roles. What, what I love about how you tell the story is, is, you know, you said you didn't know what you're doing, yeah. but it didn't stop you, right? It didn't stop you kind of applying for the job, convincing them to give you the chance and that kind of thing. So I, a lot of people I talk to through doing this and other things, you know, have that imposter syndrome where they feel like they have to be 100% confident of everything before they feel qualified to do a job. But it didn't stop you there, did it? To get going, getting the experience. So what, what is it about you that gives you that kind of, that drive to just go and do it? Yeah. Do you know, I'm a believer, I've always been, and this is, I think, the influence of my dad because he was like really big on practice and sport was really big in our house growing up. And I think you learn this, particularly if you do a sport and then you get better and better at it. I always just thought, like, okay, I'm smart. I mean, I'm not a genius, but smart enough. And I just work hard and I will get better. I'll learn. I'll learn how to do it. And in consulting, I think that is what you're doing all the time because you're constantly being put in to new situations, new teams, new sectors that you don't know and you have to get up to speed really quickly. And it's very uncomfortable in the beginning because you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. And the fear, you know, I didn't, I'm not saying I didn't have anxiety. I had, of course, was a lot always facing into that, but I don't know, I just believed it. And I didn't think I had to be amazing first. I think that's the thing. You yeah. don't expect to be you know, the expert on something from day one. You expect yeah. to go in, you're gonna learn everything, you're gonna ask questions. Maybe there's like a, it's a humility thing, which I think. Well, maybe linking back as well as we were saying earlier about your, because, you know, with your new role, you're talking about getting, you know, learning. Well, I think that's wonderful, isn't it? Because owning the fact that you may not know everything from the beginning, but you're going to go and find out. I mean, I will definitely not know everything from the beginning. Yeah, I might have a leg up on being able to ask questions, informed questions earlier because I've had the experience. But, you know, the team in there, it's new. Everything is new. And I want to learn. You know, so the first six months in a job or first three months 
the chance to learn and to ask questions. And it's, you have to fight your instinct. I think for a lot of people, the instinct is I need to prove myself. I need to achieve something. I need to make them feel happy that they've hired me. And in some ways, I think that instinct goes against what you actually need to do to do all those things, which is to listen, learn, ask the right questions, build relationships, understand the dynamics of an organization, the culture, what makes your team tick. And you can't do that by going in and dictating stuff. Mm. I mean, that's... The other thing I've noticed as well in a new job is that you, you see things quite clearly, don't you, in the first kind of few weeks and months. And then th- things just become the way they are and, and the relationships become established. That's like a beautiful honeymoon period, haven't you, where you need to capture that freshness and yeah, you know, and then And then believe in yourself that your perspective is valid and right and not that, oh, but I must not have it right because the organization's over here doing this. Have enough guts, I guess, to challenge at the appropriate and the right moment. Yeah. yeah. I, funnily enough, I had a conversation with our founder just yesterday, actually, where someone new had started and they said, why do we do it like this? And then I realized I'd said the same thing three years ago when I started. But for some reason, I was defending how we do it. I, <laughs> I had to kick myself going, why am I, hang on a minute, like, you know, this doesn't make sense. Why am I sat there going, well, we'd have to change all this and then we'd have to redo that, you know. It's, yeah. You have to kind of keep that spirit. And of, that, oh, we've tried you know. that before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's exactly, just how it Ban is. Ban that phrase, yeah. Now, of course, you know, you're going back to KFC, but you spent 10 years, didn't you, at KFC, which is a decent amount of time, isn't it? You, if I got it right, you rose up from innovation director and then and then CMO. So just talk talk through that 10-year journey as well. What roles did you do? And it what? definitely didn't feel like 10 years. I mean, it, it is true that I, would, I think now the business itself and the brand is feels culturally holds the same values true but it is a very different place than it was 10 years ago I mean yet it went by in a flash it's an amazing business to work for I I took the opportunity originally because it was a massive challenge and they were looking they wanted to make the brand more relevant to females and in particular mothers and there was a real menu product brand challenge along with that and I thought that's incredible because I am exactly the target and KFC wasn't on my radar at all at the time and they are really people and talent focused. They believe that it's, you know, one of their, I don't know, what's the word? Distinct, it's not, not a distinctive asset, but it's like the, one of their biggest assets is, is their people and having the best talent. And they invest in that talent in growing, developing, stretching them. So I could see that I would have this opportunity, but there would be other opportunities to build, I guess, my expertise. I'd, I said earlier I've worked for Goo, which is a really small company, but I hadn't had access at Goo to the type of, training, learning and development programs, the type of coaching and to work for people who've had masses of experience. So I think that was one of the reasons I took that jump. And then they just kept giving me the next challenge. I had two maternity leaves there. And, you know, I was promoted my first mat leave to the marketing director role while on mat leave, they called me and said, we lo- when you come back, we'd love you to move into this role. And, and then for the CMO role, they promoted me th- three months before I went on mat leave. Oh, I mean, wow. this is a business oh, that is good. like just, they are just brilliant and they do the right thing for talent. And in fact, they held some business decisions to wait for me to come back from mat leave, which allowed me to own them and to drive them and didn't get, you know, they set me up for success. And it is, yeah, brilliant. But I, yeah, so I had I had worked in different areas in marketing before I became yeah. the CMO there. I mean, it sounds like the culture is quite important, isn't it, to to, to, to the success of, of, of the brand, but also individually. Can you describe to me what what is it about the culture that allows that that kind of thing to happen? Because it's very, it, it sounds really good. Yeah, I think, how would I describe it? 
they are they have a real belief in people and they back that with proper investment in the things that grow people so not just functional training but leadership training development every people process is hugely rigorous like the people reviews the development planning process and it's sponsored at the top and it's rigorous so they have the process they put investment in and then i would say there's just this underlying there used to be a phrase i don't know if it's still there so also i might be like a year and a half out of date but they we used to always say it's believe in all people and you just you believe in the right intentions of the person and that everyone around you is trying to do the right thing for the business and sometimes people are misguided but i think it's that sense of you're not tackling the person you're tackling like the the content or you're tackling the job together it is less scary it's it's a less judgment filled environment it's more psychologically safe perhaps and at the same time it's not soft you know it is performance driven i used to say it's like you know the I've never worked in Tesco, but like the performance and accountability you expect from a place like Tesco, but combined with the, we will do everything we can so that you can deliver that performance. It is all about every investment. My job as a GM will be to enable every person in my team and them for their people and their teams to deliver incredible performance. So you get both accountability and results focused with the way we deliver that is, is by helping you be the best that you can be. Is an incredible place to work. And I feel so lucky to be able to go back and help lead in that way. It's a total privilege. That's amazing. One of the questions linked to that I think I was going to ask you about is global brands, you know, decades old, hugely successful. How much autonomy is there for you to lead the team and and to deliver the change you want? Because part of, you know, part of performance culture means having the, you know, permission and support to go and deliver the results. So, So how does that work? Yeah, it is. It's especially as a marketer, it's an incredible business to work in because you have the scale, size of a huge multinational brand and business and the backing of, you know, a big business. But you because of the way we're structured, you have a lot of autonomy to do what you need to do to build your brand and grow your business in your local market. The first CEO of Yum, so Yum is the business that owns KFC and Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and now Habit Burger as well. The first CEO felt very strongly that if you want to have the best innovation, you need to be really close to consumers and customers in the market and you need to have the best talent. And to have the best talent, you need to allow them to make decisions. You need to give them resources and allow them to make decisions. And that is part of the underlying reason why we're structured the way we are, which is hugely decentralized. Each market reports, all the functions report into the managing director or the CEO or GM, whatever they're called. And then that goes into the global CEO. That just, you know, you have the ability to make decisions. When I was a CMO, no one was signing off our advertising except for, well, really me. I mean, obviously you, I would show my my GM, but you know, it was our call. and. With that comes huge responsibility. I was going to say, huge does responsibility. that ever go wrong? Because you ever get a phone call one night going, hang on a second, <laughs> yeah. what have I just seen? Occasionally. <laughs> and then you have to, you really, you have to back yourself. Yeah. Because I think with, with what comes with the empowerment is accountability for delivering the results. And also playing a role, knowing you have, you're trying to do what's right for the UK business, 
but you are part of a global family and you you know it may not be in your objectives not to mess up things for the rest of the world but you have to realize you you need to not do that so you have it but you have to wear it very I guess seriously and with be considered about what choices you make and what consequences those choices might have not just on your results but the ripple effect it could have around the world yeah makes so much yeah. sense I mean, with freedom comes responsibility doesn't exactly it? Gonna that's give the, the right freedom, phrase exactly you, you have a responsibility yeah. it, it has echoes actually of Suntory when I, I worked there they, they used, I think they called it the Gemba which is the phrase that basically meant being close to your customer the front line they often referred to it as and, you know, obviously being operated from Japan with different culture, they're like, you know, no one is better placed than the person that's closest to the customer to make the decision. But equally, you knew if you made the wrong decision, it's all on you because you can't blame, well, head office said so, you know, because you're given that response. But it sounds quite similar to that. Now, I'd love to come and talk to you a bit about the marketing because, you know, well, congratulations, but going back a, li- a couple of years, of course, uh, Marketing Week brand of the year. How did that feel? Oh, that was so exciting and so exciting for the team because... I think it's a, it was an HSBC ad, a small business ad. I remember, I always loved it. That was success. People think success happens overnight, but like it doesn't. It's so many years of just progress, 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 progress to move the brand on and the results and and how the brand has moved on was like so many elements. It's not just one big TV ad or one big campaign or one big new menu item. It took effort across the whole business, you know, change in standards and operations. It took change in how we showed up in our restaurants and how they looked and how they felt. And that, you know, that's not a marketing thing. And it was the total transformation of the brand. And that made us so proud because it was so much effort over a long period of time. And often when you're making those long-term changes, it's not always noticed right away. It takes a while until you get to almost a scale of it it's and then you start to build a bit of mov- bit yeah. of momentum and of course outside people only see the end output don't yes. they? And go, well of course you exactly know. And yeah. you go, if only you knew you know it, it, it reminds me a little bit had dom dwight from yorkshire tea on last year and he made a really interesting observation that the, that the senior management team had been together for 10 years but he just said that gave him a level of trust and they learned, you know, they were able to, learn, you know, over that time they learned so much. And that's partly why they've been so successful. So to what extent do you think consistency over the time, over your tenure has kind of played a, a part in that? Yeah, I think when I reflect back even at KFC, our leadership team, the COO, the CFO, my GM, myself, been in role five years We'd been through a few crises. You know, we've been through COVID. We've been through DHL, the, our distribution challenge. So we had, yes, a very high degree of trust. And that trust is not just, oh, you do your job, I trust you. But we challenged each other. And the, I think the rigor of the decision-making just got better and better. And then we also had that with our franchisees. So the Because in order to make progress, you often need, the franchisees need to, be willing to either make those investments or make those changes if you need them to change. And, you know, it was a really strong, I think, collaboration. And we'd, we'd all of us had, you know, we, there was a high degree of trust. And I think that's a really good insight. I, ne- I hadn't necessarily thought of it like that before. But because there's one thing to know what you need to do to drive change, but to actually make it happen, to actually be able to influence, to make the investments they need to make, to change behaviors to change how they lead, to be patient on results occasionally. That's not knowing the right answer. That is influence and relationship building and trust and leadership. And I think that 
with tenure comes maybe the ability yeah. tenure of a team, the ability to do. That. I mean, there's so many, so much in that. I mean, there's obviously the the, the teamwork, collaboration. There's also the knowledge of how the business runs, mm-hmm. but also, I mean, what we've learned the last three years is there are so many short-term storms, aren't there, that get thrown at you that if you don't have that longevity and, and you're just going to get blown off track, aren't you? And that's the, that's the danger. And then the challenges also impact on the team and how they feel and how they work together and you're all working from home now. I mean, there's so many challenges that you, I think if you don't have that consistency. Yeah, and the ability to keep perspective, I think, to see, yeah, to see what's a, what do you call, what's the phrase I hear all the time in the UK? A storm in a teacup? Yes. Is that right? Yes. Classic <laughs> English phrase there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm still learning. I learned Only one the other day. the Brits <laughs> could come up with a storm in a teacup. Right? Um, <laughs> and what is actually going to be, you know, industry shifting or a trend that continues on and to be able to moderate your response accordingly, that takes, yeah, perspective. And, and I think with being around a little while and a team that, that knows how to bring each other back into perspective really makes a difference, especially in a crisis like that. Now, know. talking about storms and teacups, my two favourite bits of, of marketing from KFC were both, well, I wouldn't necessarily, they'd probably be probably real storms, actually. You know, <laughs> I loved your response to the the chicken shortage. This must be, well, 2018, was it yeah. roughly? Yeah, the, the, and, and, and your was it Mother that came up with the FCK response? I mean, that was genius. I mean, playing with your logo in that way as well, you know, just so distinctive, so honest, you know, just it, it really broke through. I'm, I'm fascinated to know how that came about and also what the response from, you know, your, your consumers was and, and yeah. so on. It seems like such a no-brainer now, doesn't it? It all seems simple in, re- in yeah. retrospect, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know, it was, I'm sure it wasn't um, as easy as that. I think what was, what's interesting about that, there wasn't a brief, a live brief. So the context was that we had quite a lot of our restaurants had closed. We had been on the <laughs> we'd been on the news for many days going. And we had said because the team almost was disbanded to help the restaurants get up and running. So we had people in distribution centers and depots and we were, you know, running. We were trying to get the system back up and running and we had postal marketing. So every, you know, no one was really talking to the agency other than to say, you need to sit tight. And I'd said, you're not going to have any of the people, any of our team now. And they were like, oh my goodness, you know, and just what can we do? And it says a lot, I think, about the relationship that we had with them that, you know, they just were like, well, at some point, they're going to need to apologize properly and they're going to need to change the story. And, you know, they were just thinking about the brand and thinking about us. And and then they came up with this thought. And Hermedi, who's actually, you know, not at Mother anymore, but he was the ECD for our business. I, th- I think he just kind of was like, I don't know, just he just came up with it, I guess. I don't know. You know, you have to ask him to explain the creative process. And they called our marketing director at the time and, you know, kind of said, oh, we have this idea. And she was like, okay, not now. <laughs> and then, um, but it goes to the relationship because they just kept, they kept, you know, sending it back to them. And then eventually, I guess the team got to the, we got to the point where we're like, yeah, we're probably going to start to plan when we're going to have to do something. And... The marketing editor came to me and said, I've got this idea. I my honestly, I'll just tell Go you. Go on, what your first reaction? I want to hear the what did you think first when you saw it? My, my first reaction was, You want me to write fuck on a bucket? And I was like Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, do you have any idea? 
I, I really was like, do you have any idea the conversations I'm having? In Britain, by the way, as well. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it is true, yeah. you know, but it was just because the gravity, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It was such a good learning. The culture outside the business was this is quite funny. You know, the people were like, oh, this is, the, the nation is in crisis. The most famous fried chicken, chicken but I haven't got any chicken. chicken. Everyone yeah. needs the chicken. And people were calling the police, it's a joke, but like actually calling saying, you know, I need an ambulance because I can't get my chicken. It's, but internally, it was so grave. You know, we had, these are, our franchisees are family businesses and you close their restaurants. They then don't have the cash come in to be able to pay their people, to pay the bills. It, it had knock-on effects that were tremendous. And the tone at first, I was like, oh my goodness, like, no. And then... The te- so the team went away and then, and then the team came back and they sent someone else, you know, I think a marketing manager, I don't remember. And I was like, no. <laughs> and then they went away and then, and they kept coming. And the fourth time there was a brand manager, her name is Amy and she's super talented. And she just sat me down. She's very British. And she said, Meg, this is the right thing to do. And here's why. And I was like, okay, you know, we need to, it's not yet the right time. Cause we're still messing up. We need to kind of have our ducks in a row. But she, you know, she put herself out there, you know, because they kind of went most senior and then they (laughs) looked down. But she was like, outside, it's, you know, it's just, it's not the same as internally. And we need to keep that external view. You know, we not need, we don't need to talk internally. Anyway, and then eventually I said, okay. And it was, it was funny. And I slid it in front of our general counsel just slid it on her notebook and she looked at it and her face just went burst into a smile. I was going to say, of all the people, you could have run that fast. No, but because her initial reaction was a huge smile. Oh, amazing. And that's what, yeah. because the problem is internally, you are not reacting. You can't react yeah. as, a, as a consumer, as a human. No. You are reacting with what are people going to think? What's the impact going to be on the business? And that cloud, and that's why that initial feeling and lots of, you know, much better marketers than me, much more creative marketers than me, talk about that initial response that you get in your gut or in your heart when something just brings a smile to your face. And that was the, and, and then we just knew this is, people will smile at this. And it, and it had, you know, we spent a lot of time getting the copy right. I'm talking way too long on this now. But it was, you know, we, we spent a long time to get it right. And then, and the guys were amazing because the tonally it was perfect and it was humble. And it spoke as much to our team members and franchisees as it did to our customers. And it was perfect for the UK culture. You know, the global team, I think, to be fair, the global CMO, actually British, and she completely understood it. But there was a lot of noise and they had to really, you know, defend that, I think, because everyone was like, oh, but isn't that a bit rude or offensive? But no one found it offensive here. No. Not a single tweet, not a single response. It's a brilliant example of where humor can diffuse a very serious a very you know stressful situation yeah. and but but you balanced it with a tone on the, so well in, yeah. it wasn't slapstick it was very it was humble and yeah. i think that was and the that joke, was the what was, was important you, wasn't it yes you know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't arrogant but i mean i was scared so, well, well, well you know, played to your GC. My husband well. thought I was going to get fired. So he was like, you, my husband runs a startup and he was like, you need your job. <laughs> Don't get fired. But it was scary because you knew there would be a reaction. But we're not, you know, we're, we wanted it. We wanted people to read it. 
we really wanted to apologize and people to read it and they <laughs> did happens. yeah brilliant well it brings me on to another crisis actually it, it seems to be crisis seems to bring out the best creativity doesn't it which is probably something in that but wind on so you know so as if that wasn't you know short of the chicken we then have covid don't we a couple of years mm. later your response to COVID, I thought, was fascinating because, of course, your most famous strapline that, you know, has been running for years and years, finger licking good, was not quite the most appropriate, was it? <laughs> you know, when we're all trying to hands, face and whatever. So talk to me about that. How did, because I thought you played it brilliantly because you actually, you know, you, you didn't cancel the strapline, did you? You just kind of paused it yeah but but you almost i think as an outsider you actually reinforced your strap line very very cleverly i mean it, it is any truth that did you know did awareness of you know that strap line go up afterwards or i don't know if awareness of the strap line went up but probably our salience yes, yeah, would have yeah. gone up in in total as a brand the i really can't take credit for that idea that was a global globally led piece of work and it was the first time at least in my understanding of the brand that we'd run coordinated across so many markets across the globe on a campaign and so it was really exciting for that reason it also felt humble again it, yeah, you know well, yeah. and and um very clever because it just tapped into tonally in the right way it tapped into what was going on in culture so it was very relevant so it was going to get talked about and yeah, and then it just worked. It's it simple. It's a simple idea that was completely in the brand in keeping with how we speak and our personality and tone. I think probably for our global CMO, so I was the decision maker on that. I mean, obviously in the UK I was, but that wasn't really risky for the UK. But I think as a global decision to pause the use of the tagline, that's, you know, that's a big call. Yeah. yeah, but she was all in, you know, I yeah. think... Yeah, because I, 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 I was intrigued. I, I jumped in the system on database actually, just have a look at all KFC advertising. That is the best performing adverts of yours in total. The other interesting thing about it is what well, you're right about t timing, because that was COVID era. It was brilliantly to toned, was actually brilliant. But it, uh, unusually as well, it had a hundred percent brand attribution, well, which is really which, which because is, people know this. People know. Yeah finger looking good yeah. this is a thing yeah. and it is I mean it's the most amazing yeah. asset yeah. and that's why I said I don't know if the awareness would have gone up because everyone uh, knows exactly. finger looking Salience, good exactly. that's what yeah. I meant because it, very very rare to see an ad get 100% correct attribution yeah. and that, that that was there really rare that it's a privilege to be a marketer at KFC because you have so many assets to play with it's you're spoiled for choice and the challenge is often which ones will we build because we can't always build them all and then it you know, it's it's a mess. Presumably, um, you must get the like. Well, the kernel's a bit old now, isn't he? And all. The, do you do you have those challenges about how to, whether to evolve the oh, we distinctive have, assets oh, versus? Of course, we the have same. the debate. And how should the kernel show up? Is he yep. is he a real person? But he's not alive anymore. But he yeah. was a real person. Yeah. So, always treating him with respect and the icon and I guess the kind of craftsman that he was. I mean, he really he really had he did have this recipe. This the story is real. It was his recipe and. It, and how we bred it today is still really how he did it. So yeah, I think it is how we tr tr treat him is always a, one, a lot of debate, and especially around the world because every market you know has a lens on that. So there's always debate, but it's not just the kernel and or the bucket or the tagline or actually the colors, the bow tie that he wears that's become a bit of an asset. The glasses, the drumstick actually in in quite a lot of forms is always highly attributable to KFC. Obviously the words KFC and yeah, I mean I could go on. I bet, yeah. yeah. We're very yeah. lucky. 
Indeed. Now, I must bring my daughter Lily in actually at this point because a self-confessed big fan. Okay. Oh, no, no, like, if I gave What's her... her favorite? What's her favorite product? She would have, let me, she would have the trilogy. Oh, the trilogy yes. box meal. Yes. Because you get all the flavors. Yes. I know, I know. I would go, I'd go for the bucket, right? Mm. Just because nostalgia. Yeah. And then I always get a slight envy when she gets that because you sort of get a bit of everything. But um, if, if those rare moments, doesn't happen all the time, but those rare moments where I go, right, complete choice, where do you want to go, whatever you want to do. If it's just her and me, she just gives me this look, go, Daddy, can we go to KFC? <laughs> so yes. It's so, so cute, right? It's, it's lovely. But I can't, it would make you laugh this. That You know you do that collaboration with Walker's Max? Yes. Literally, she came, literally came running back home screaming, going, you're not going to believe what I've just found. <laughs> so, so yeah, it made one girl very happy, but amazing, yeah. Do, as a brand, do you do much of that kind of collaboration? Because you've got such, you know, as distinctive assets talked about, such a famous flavour. You know, it, it, what's your approach to innovation? I think the core is staying like really true to your DNA, but meeting consumer needs in new ways or in ways that haven't been met before. You know, and marrying that, of course, with like a commercial business strategy. So, you know, we're always trying to grow the reach of our brand. And this was one way to do that. And then, but to do it really in a, in a good fit. And that's why Walker's Max was the right partner yes. and not sensations, right? Yeah. Because attitudinally, it, it was spot on and the crisp is the right type of crisp to it hold is, the yeah. Chunky flavor. and full yeah. of flavor. Exactly. Yeah. And that's when I think if I look back on innovation we've done, that's where you, we have the most resounding success is when you are innovating and in the kind of, and it's so close to your core DNA. And what there's a there's I don't remember who gave this rule, but it's that eighty percent familiar, twenty percent new, and that really you know that Walker's collaboration is a great example of that. Brilliant example, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, j- just looking back, at, one thing I want to ask you: looking back at your career, you know, innovation, then CMO, now to GM, of course. What would be your advice to somebody that's kind of wanting to aspire to the, the ranks of CMO? What, what's as you look back, what advice would you give the younger you starting out on that journey? I think the first one would be to remember that you've been hired because they want to hear what you have to say and not what you think they want you to say, if that makes sense. So this idea of trying to guess what your boss thinks is the right answer, like you're not in school anymore and you've been hired to use your brain and to then, you know, take what's in your brain and tell the people. So do that and I wish that I had maybe done that earlier or found the confidence to do it earlier because it you know can be scary especially if you are someone who wants to achieve and do well and please people but you're never going to be your most successful you if you're trying to be someone else and you've been hired because you're you I think the second thing would be not to chase the title or even the money I mean I think let's just be realistic of course financially you need to be responsible and we have families to support and lives, but but really being open to where the opportunity is to learn and to think about what will I get from this particular opportunity and just play the long game. You know, if I if I look back at a pivotal moment in my career where I took a risk, and it was the most important decision I ever made was taking that. F- I mean, fifty percent pay cut. Can you? Im- I don't know. I, I mean, I look back and I think, geez, like what was I thinking? But you know, it was absolutely the right thing to do and I backed myself that I would over time it, I'd be able to get it back that I'd be able to make up for it and I just you know I, I don't I don't know if I even thought about it that much but I think that being willing to take appropriate risk 
is good and to think about it's not about what your CV looks like. It's actually about the experiences that you have that enable you to be or prepare you to be great at the next job. Mm-hmm. And rather than, oh, it looks great on my CV. Especially when you're younger, don't you? Like, it, it, it's almost boxed up, right, I want to be a senior brand manager, then I want to be a marketing manager, then I want to manage a team, then I want to have done an above-the-line campaign sort of thing. But that's really good advice to, to seek the experience over the title or the... Because it will the, come. Yeah. And then, what else would I say? Okay, two more pieces of advice. One, be curious. I think particularly in marketing. And then, especially marketing mm-hmm. that you want to be a GM I think you need to be curious like curious about your peers why do people think the way they do why do they think your idea is rubbish be curious about the world read other things go out see the world this try not to be introspective so much because a, a lot of times the role of marketing and innovation and organization is like connecting dots and seeing what's about to happen and preparing your business your brand to be able you know, to exist in that world. And in order to do that, you need to be high on learning, high on curiosity, high on understanding how people tick and what makes people make certain decisions. And then, and the willingness to create time and space to feed your curiosity is super important. Yeah, finally, just don't be afraid to work hard. You know, things are hard. It's not always easy, you know, like so many times where you haven't got things right and you gotta go back to the drawing board and do it better next time. I'm a big believer in work ethic and practice. And I say this to everyone. So if anyone is from my old team listening to this, they'll just laugh. Um, I My life was changed by the book written by Carol Dweck. He wrote Mindset, which is all about the growth mindset. And I mean, I just totally believe that is the right way to think about life, which is in some ways, there's no such thing as like success and failure. You're just on a continuum of getting better and better and better and making progress. And that takes fear away. So, But it also takes practice and work. 100%. Well, listen, I, I think that is the perfect place to end, actually. I think that's wonderful advice. Thank you so much. And good luck with the new role. I, Thank I'm, you so I'm much. I'm excited for you. Just listening to you talk about it, the passion for the brand and what you've learned and where you're going and your approach to it is, is all wonderful. And thank you for your openness, honesty and sharing your advice as well. It's uh, tremendously inspiring. So thank you. It's been so good to be here. Thank you, John. Thank you. So ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Uh, that was Meg Farron, uh, now KFC General Manager. Uh, talking to me on the Uncensored CMO podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It really is a pleasure and an honor to have you with me. If you'd like to never miss an episode again, I'm sure you won't, then do hit the subscribe button and you'll be alerted to future episodes. Um, If you want to follow me, you can do. I'm over at Twitter at Uncensored CMO, also on LinkedIn, John Evans, that's John without an H. I'd love to hear from you. I really do enjoy getting feedback, so do drop me a message. Um, And if you've got any suggestions of future guests, uh, please do let me know. I would love to know who they are and uh, I'll try and get them on the show. Thanks again, everybody, and see you next time.